You are listening to Constructing Education in a Digital World with Paul Stephen Jennings and Tom Rodone. Tom, uh, Tom Hooper, we've got two Toms now. This is going to be an interesting exercise. Tom Hooper, welcome to CEDW Podcast. Thank you very much for taking the time out to join us. Um, just a very quick intro. You you left investment banking, uh, you know, 10, 11 years ago to uh, join a, um, a tech startup called Brightsparks. You then sold Brightsparks and founded a new tech startup, which is where you are now. Can you give us a little brief as to how you got from the bright city lights of investment banking into tech startup and, and that space? Yes, I can. And thank you for having me. So I, you're absolutely correct. I worked for six years in finance, which, which I really enjoyed. Like my, you know, coming out of university, like a lot of people, I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do. I was very interested in, in business, businesses and how they worked. And it seemed like a good place to start. So, so, so I did. Um, and I spent six years meeting lots and lots of companies from all across Europe and trying trying to understand them and make investment decisions and, you know, obviously making plenty of mistakes along the way. And it was an extraordinary time to work in the city. It was 2003 to 2009. So kind of a decade that saw huge globalization, you know, tech crunches, credit booms, credit busts, all of it. So, uh, you know, it, it was I'm very pleased I worked there. That said, I I could never have seen myself making a career out of it. Um, I, I wasn't motivated enough to do it, really. I wanted to be on the other side of the table, in truth. I wanted to be working with a team that was building a business. I wanted to be building a business that I that I believed in, that I thought that I thought had as much social opportunities as commercial opportunity and kind of, you know, it was important to be that both went hand in hand, but I didn't really know what that meant. So I, I quit and I up sticks and left the country and was thinking about what to do and settled upon starting a business called Brightspark, which, which used tutors in, in India to uh, provide um, affordable online teaching to kids in in the UK, and I had a fairly extraordinary experience with that first startup. It was it was I financed it myself with what little savings I had. Um, I had no experience in technology or education, but I just I just really believed in it, um, and I launched it in September 2010, and very very quickly was in discussions with several big companies in the sector and ended up concluding a deal in I think it was February 2011 so within five months of six months of launching the business um, and and effectively became a, a product of um, Tez so that's Times Education Supplement Tez Global which is a, a big teaching community who then bought the rest of the business in 2012 so it was um, it, it probably sounds a lot more successful than it actually was um, but it was a quite, quite an extraordinary experience for your own startup, your first startup. That is an incredibly yeah. quick, quick turnaround as well for for a startup in in that space. Yeah, not, that's not necessarily a good thing either. But it was, yeah. So I think extraordinary carries a full scope of of sort of good, bad, and and other experiences in the middle. And and Tom, you said that you you know were away and abroad 
and you came up with the idea. Did it literally come from nowhere? You, you said you had no tech experience and no education experience. Uh, to jump into this and to start uh, a business you sold two years later, that sounds like a remarkable tale. Yeah, it is, uh, it's quite difficult to think. When, when you look with hindsight, it's quite easy to kind of come up with reasons. You know, I had, I had been a tutor. I had been tutored. So I'd done my CFAs when I worked in investment and I'd done a lot of the... I'd done a lot of it online. Um, you know, I'm pretty rudimentary online learning at the time, but nonetheless very valuable. I mentioned when when I was kind of introducing my background that, that when I worked in the city, it was a, a period of massive globalization. And so you, you kind of saw the benefits of that, which you know, kind of globalization is a, a key component of the of both BrightSpark and of third space learning. So there were a lot of factors over the years prior. To launching BrightSpark that kind of fed into it, and you know I was not the first person that there was there were there were a couple of Indian businesses selling tutoring into the U.S. Um, quite different models, product strategies certainly. Um, it was much more kind of marketplace type models, whereas both with BrightSpark and ThirdSpace we're a very structured curriculum led model. And, you know, we're, we're kind of based in B2B, so selling directly to schools. So it's whilst the talent model is was similar, the product model was was very different. Yeah. Um, Tom, when you sold out to um, Tess and uh, uh, exited Brightsbox, how long did you sit around for celebrating before before you then decided to, to look into third space? Um, the summer. So, it, I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't want to um, pretend that I was, it, it was a, a kind of huge exit. It was, it was uh, successful, but I was certainly not, you know, a long, long, long way from thinking about retirement. So I, I, I took the summer off and thought, okay, I think there's a lot more that can be achieved than we were able to achieve. But I also felt that I hadn't really proven the commercial model and I, so I kind of want, I, I didn't want to make the decision to kind of, to, to do third space emotionally. I wanted to try and step back and really think like, do I really, really believe there's a good business and kind of do I go again or do I look at something different? And um, quite clearly my reflections led to the conclusion that, that there was. Um, and I kind of took what I'd learned and, um, Fed that into third space, which was yeah, and its kind of core components were were the same in the sense of taking global supply to try and make one-to-one -one, online one-to-one -one tuition affordable to what we call the underserved mass market. And with third space, we were laser focused on primary schools, which which was the right thing to do. Although as ever, there are consequences from that. So you know, the the problem we were trying trying to solve with third space was. In in and this is a fairly universal problem in schools, but certainly in English primary schools, less than two percent of teachers are math specialists. Math failure, particularly amongst disadvantaged pupils, is is far too high. And recruitment of teachers into the school sector continuously falls behind. Like every year, we fail to meet our national recruitment target for math teachers. So. You know, the kind of supply-demand gap and the consequences on disadvantaged pupils is very, very clear. So could we build a, a product that could take global um, supply of, of maths talent and deliver that via an experience and a, a price point that could help 
support teachers in schools to solve that problem. And, and that was the, the kind of design of the, the product that we built with Thursface. And, you know, I think it's been, you know, the numbers certainly show it's been very effective. Tom, could you give us a bit of a summary about where Third Space is now? And what I mean by that is a, a practical, a real-time sort of example of how it is being used in what environment and by who and where. Yeah, of course. So the the vast, so we've, to give you some numbers, we've worked, let me tell you what we actually sell, like the, the reality of that. So we sell termly one-to-one programs so schools pay us about 199 pounds per term per child for weekly one-to-one support that becomes that's booked into the school timetable um on average it's for 10 plus children per term per school um so they might say wednesdays at two o'clock booked in each child has their own tutor who they work with online same tutor same child every week and then they that those children's class teacher will decide what they learn. So I want this child to focus on um, fractions, this child to work focus on multiplication, you know, whatever they want. They, they pick the strands from our curriculum. Child sits a diagnostic assessment. We create personalized learning journeys for each child. And then the tutor takes them through that journey using content from our curriculum each week. I, I want to jump in there because I'm the, the nerd in this in this game and I want to understand how you went about building the platform you said you had no education or technology experience so did you have a CTO or a, a good mate that was good, good at building websites or how did you go about sourcing the tutors how did you uh, there's so many so many moving parts in this in delivering this service to schools particularly on a, on a scale I was having a look at your website obviously on a big scale with thousands of schools involved so yeah. how did you go about pulling that all together so it, it's quite, so I'll answer that in three ways. Firstly, supply technology and then kind of launching in the market because it's, I think each is quite interesting. On the supply side, I mean, you know, it was, it was I like, I Googled Indian education companies and then I emailed them and said, look, I'm, I'm, I just so happen to be in India next week. Can I have a meeting? And then I hopped on a plane and I just, just spent time in India just, going around and meeting people and just trying to figure out like who I had quite a clear mind a view in my mind about who who I wanted to work with and they had to be India is a very entrepreneurial culture it is also a culture where the kind of, there's a very strong work ethic which is a very good thing but you also understand have to understand when people are saying yes I can do that for you and they really can do it for you or yes I can do that for you because you're asking me to do it and I wanted to find a partner who was an educationalist first and an entrepreneur second one of the people I met was a great man called Kamal who lives uh, who's very successful entrepreneur who founded a business in uh, based out of Ludhiana which is in the Punjab so it's about four or five hours north of Delhi and I told him what I wanted to do, and he said, okay, great, well, let's do it. And we did. Um, and we've worked together for many years. Um, so it started off by building academic centers. So all the tutors would be housed in an academic center. So we'd have really tight oversight on safeguarding operations, uh, attendance, 
infrastructure, academics, all the rest of it. And then over more recent years, so the last couple of years in particular, we've started moving toward a model where the academic center is the hub and then tutors can work remotely. So it means we can recruit from a much wider community of tutors. We can actually pay better for the tutors whilst also reducing our net price, per, net or net cost per session and increasing our margins and increasing obviously the scalability as well. So we've taken a very, we took a very kind of structured approach to how we built out the supply side. I, I, that's, so that, that's the technology side of things and the people. What about the content? I mean, I know you guys have got a lot of, of interactive content as well as the one-to-one -one tutelage. So when you went, went about building this out, um, where, how are you generating your content? I know you're based on the UK curriculum. Did you have any assistance from government, from schools, from anybody in the UK helping you out? I, I'll touch on the technology point because that's something that's changed a lot. The, you know, so I first started in this, you know, in the ed tech sector in 2009. Um, and you know, a lot has changed since then. In, in, you know, if you think of the services like, you know, uh, Google Apps for Business, AWS, all those kinds of things are radically different or, or, or radically change, should I say, how easy it is to build a business. So, and, and you know, as well as the technology community, the kind of engineering, I mean, it's always challenging recruiting engineers, but the, the understanding, the funding, and the community that sits around technology in London and indeed globally is, is far, far different today than it was then. Um, oh, which, which makes it yeah. easier to find people to help you build stuff, basically. And so the, the, the view with the product was always, you know, the, if the purpose of the business was how can we scale high quality, low cost, one-to-one -one teaching to reach children in need, um, you've got to have scalable supply side. Um, hence, we wanted to look globally. But you've also got to have scalable, scalable means of managing performance or managing the learning outcome. And so for us, that meant two things. Firstly, we wanted to be able to identify the learning gaps that children had and make sure that we could, that each one-to-one -one lesson was focused on content that was aligned to that learning gap. So there would be a consistency in the experience and that experience would be aligned to what the child really needed to learn. And then secondly, that we could build our training, performance management and tutor development around the, how the tutors should teach those concepts and the progress they'd help that child to achieve around those concepts. So the platform, it, very simply, we say we're not a marketplace, we're a platform, but the, the ability of the platform to structure those experiences and to curate and personalize the content that the child was learning was, a really, was really important to us. You, you mentioned that you guys, when you started Third Space, um, learned an awful lot of lessons from Bright Sparks, and that you started this with a very deliberate laser focus on primary maths education. Where did that come from? And is it simply just that that was the demand, or was there another reason that led you to, to that laser focus? Yeah, so good question. It, no, it wasn't really... It was, not, it was more of a hypothesis about demand than a proof of demand. So if I think of Bright Spark, one of the mistakes I made with that was 
and I remember it very clearly. I launched in September 2010, just me, almost no money, and trying to sell to primary schools, secondary schools, families at home, and adult learning, and not having a clue what I was doing, <laughs> which is like, which you know, a lot of people make that mistake, but it's it's still quite a mistake to make. But but you know, you know, things turned out pretty well in the end. But but still. And so when I looked at Third Space, I thought, okay, you there is a big opportunity here, but you're only going, you know, you got to get past step one, which is prove it in a segment of the market. Then you can look at what comes next. So when I was thinking about primary schools, I think, you know, I said I didn't have proof from Brightspark that 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 really was the best market to go after, but. If you think of the the purpose of the company that I had outlined, i.e., how do you make one-to-one good quality one-to-one tuition available to children in need? A lot of those children, if you try and sell to parents, they they don't have, and we still see this today. They don't have the broadband, they don't have the infrastructure, they don't have the money, they don't have the engagement at home to be able to to take this on. Whereas at school, they have the guardianship of the teacher, they have the structure of the school timetable and the school environment, they have the infrastructure of the school, you know, broadband, computers, etc. They have funding such as the pupil premium in the UK. And, and, as well, and on top of that, best practice for one-to-one teaching is to make sure that it is um, in, run in conjunction with what's happening in class. So it, it targets learning gaps as they arise in class, and therefore it should be led by or directed by teachers. The social purpose, the unmet market need as we saw it, and the funding that was there to try and help fill that market need, we believed was most clearly represented by primary schools. And so that's where we started. And, and, and you know, that's still overwhelmingly the majority of our business. And it's good, it's good, you know, and, you know, there's all kinds of other things, you know, like the most important time to focus on a child's maths is at primary level. 90% of children who fail primary level maths go on to fail GCSE. Because if you can't do adding and subtraction, you're not going to be able to do Pythagoras, right? I mean, it's common sense, but so us being able to provide that service to really make sure we cemented the gaps at an early age is better for all different stages of, of academic development. What we've seen recently with COVID and so on has has really accelerated the long-term vision that we've got for the business um, in terms of how school systems look at look at ensuring that that children in need really do get the support they need and that that's that's that that is able to be done at scale and consistently and as a central part of the school budget. Um, just like we've seen recently with the National Tutoring Fund in the UK. So you mentioned that from a scalability perspective that you've designed the system to be as scalable as possible. Your limit has to be the number of tutors you have, I would assume. How easy is it for you to to scale that out, um, particularly if you start delving into the international markets? Uh, yeah, I think so in truth, I think we've got, there's a lot more that we can do to make it more scalable. So I think if to kind of talk you through the phases we've been through. We started off with one tutor center in India, then we added a second, then we set up our own subsidiary in, in Sri Lanka. 
So we've kind of, we, you know, we have presence in both the Indian and Sri Lankan market. We then started moving from tutor center to tutor community, which means you can recruit from a much wider audience of, of people. But there's, there's still a lot more that we can do in terms of, we still optimize for, the better way of, of talking about this is we optimize for performance over scale right now. You know, we want to make sure that we have good tutors and they're well-trained and well-managed over volume. Um, but there's a lot more work that we, that we can do and intend to do on that recruitment journey to make sure that we maintain our focus on quality whilst also being able to speed up the kind of volume and, I don't know if you want to call it, kind of velocity of, of recruitment. So. Tom, how, how many tutors have you got now across India and Sri Lanka? I'm not sure. We've, we've got about 500. And, and do you have uh, British curriculum trained teachers training the trainer, if you like? Yeah, yeah, we do. We do. Um, based both kind of in London in terms of the kind of the product and training design, but also based out in Colombo as well which is where our subsidiary is and which runs the, the lion's share of all, um, both the kind of the, the actual, obviously, recruitment of tutors based in the centre, tutors based in the community, um, as well as all the kind of QA and virtual support um, and experience that we provide. So I think we were, we used to be much more hands-on from a UK teacher perspective, um, but I think we've now got whatever it is, seven years of experience in the Sri Lankan and Indian market. And so we're, we're pretty confident of the processes and oversight processes that we've put in place that we can kind of slightly, we don't feel the need to have as much physical oversight from UK teachers as we did in the, in the beginning. I've, I've got to ask the question because this is where the future of most of the stuff is going. Well, not, not education, but certainly the rest of the world. In, in the banking sector, in help desk, in all of these, we are looking at a future of AI bots. Is that something you foresee being a, a possibility to have AI maths tutors? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, I mean, it is a possibility. I, I, don't, I don't think it's a possibility that's going to come soon. I mean, the, as far as I understand, the two professions that are best protected from AI are comedians and teachers. <laughs> and I think if you look at the, the kind of the, the fundamental problem we solve at, at, for most students is confidence. It's not that they can't do that piece of work. It's not that intellectually it's too, um, too much for them. It's confidence. And I, I, you know, I was good at maths, but I can remember sitting in maths lessons and thinking, I don't, I don't quite get this and being too nervous to put my hand up or you know you, you like you miss one link in the formula and then the whole thing goes and I think the vast majority of people can remember that and and then if you think of you think of those children who are starting with a low level of confidence it, that's what our tutors provide so a lot of the training is in growth mindset and and how to encourage children to ask questions how to give good feedback um, and how to build their confidence and the resilience they feel when it comes to approaching maths i think it's quite a long way off before an ai bot does that because you know there's there's nothing that that feeling of 
that aha moment when the child discovers something with a tutor that they've been working with, who's building a rapport is is very, very complicated and you know it's surprisingly emotional. And I think I, I don't think for a second that I, I'm not too worried about that. Tom, you, your model is primarily focused on state education in the UK. So Paul and I have had a number of discussions with people throughout the series of this podcast about uh, how we can bring technology into less developed worlds. Is there scope to, to bring your remote learning system, your platform, into less fortunate environments, possibly even funded by private education, international education, mm. so that your platform, your tutor, tutors are supporting um, and helping educate the less fortunate? Um, yes, I think there is, and I really hope there is. So um, a, a long-term goal of the business was to look at how we could provide our platform as a service to third parties, to, to other school systems. So, you know, today we can say that we've, we, we work, you know, every week we deliver online teaching to thousands of children in hundreds of schools in the UK from our, our community of hundreds of online tutors. So that, that kind of B2B at a national level, like we really understand how to do that and understand that delivery to schools en masse. We, there are markets which we're starting to look at. So we're starting to look at the US now to provide a similar sort of service, so B2B selling directly to schools or districts. Now, as you say, there are some big markets where we don't think that model of selling directly to a school would be right. But we do think there's the potential to provide our platform as a solution to help with the recruitment, training and distribution of an online but local teaching faculty, uh, teaching body into schools that are, are spread across the, across the country. And, and I'll, I'll give you an interesting example, which actually didn't come to anything which was was about three years ago now. We're talking to a you know one of the um, a country in the Caribbean, which only had about seventeen hundred pupils in each year group. Um, so it's very small. But across the islands, we were talking to the ambassador in the UK, and and he had said he was very interested in how we could work with them to recruit um, a body of about fifty teachers in the capital and then provide our technolo technology to connect them to children in schools spread across the various islands. And it came to nothing, but that type of model where we provide effectively a virtual school infrastructure to complement their physical bricks and mortar school infrastructure is one that I think could be, for us, could really further our business goal, kind of the social mission of the business in a way that would really reflect the, I think the kind of stages of maturity and the, the focus in, in more emerging markets. So what, so what is your, what's your next part of the curriculum that you'll be tackling? Obviously you've take focused on maths. What's, what's next for you guys? So our, our mission over the next couple of years is to expand from UK primary to global primary and secondary. So that's delivering maths at primary and secondary level to global English speaking markets. Um, we've got the supply model in place to do that. Um, so it's, it's very much about investing in product and curriculum. And of, of course, like deciding how we enter those markets, either on our own or via partnerships. 
so that's that is our goal i think the other side of that the things we're looking at are um, new subjects so science we're starting to look at a little bit and then also platform as a service which we've actually signed a, a, a really good contract recently with a chinese american company so we're, we're we're kind of ahead of target on that but i think my hope is that on a kind of three to five year view that providing what we've built the kind of infrastructure and capability could be a really big opportunity for us and an opportunity that's accelerated recently i ask the same question of everyone at the end of these interviews how do you imagine a classroom to look in 10 years time what will the classroom that your children will be going into look like and feel like and how do you think the remote learning piece will fit into that i don't think it'll necessarily look that different i mean i i you know i have heard so many times people say if you went into a classroom today it wouldn't look that different from the victorian era and it probably doesn't but you know i think schools and classrooms are brilliant and wonderfully simple and teachers do an amazing but challenging job so i don't think they need to be revolutionized and i, I it slightly annoys me when everyone says that you know they're sort of you know schools are these kind of luddite environments don't adopt technology I, I don't see why they do have to adopt technology if i'm quite honest with you there isn't a technology that's going to be better than a teacher put it that way so i don't think they will change that much what do i think will change i think potentially the way schools manage timetables and the kind of the grouping of children might become more intelligent and more fluid that said one of the key benefits of of school particularly at a younger age is the social dynamic so you know that that would be the counter to my view there i think um there will be a lot more transparency or fluidity i don't know which is the right word between how children are working at home and how they're working in school. Um, and I hope a consequence of that will be far more effective parental engagement in learning. And I'll give you a horrific stat on this. The single most important variable in a child's academic success is how rich or poor their parents are. So it's not the school they go to, it's not the curriculum they learn, it's not their teacher, it's how rich or poor their parent is. So it seems to me that unless you can try and use some form of technology that can bridge that gap between the home environment and what's happening in school, you're not going to make a whole lot of difference. Um, so so I have a slightly rambling answer. I don't think the classroom will look radically different. I don't necessarily want it to. I think that technology can make sure that what a child is, the groups children are learning in and how they learn at, at home and within the school environment is, a, is as personalized as possible, but I just, I don't think the physical setting will change that much. Uh, Tom, in September 2010, you let feet first into the world of technology startups at Brightsparks. In remarkably quick time, you exited in 2012 and you went back in with your second business with the intention of identifying gaps in education and then building a business that plugs those gaps with a laser focus on maths in primary education and one-to-one -one learning. With over 65,000 children having now been through the third space programme, you're the largest supplier of remote learning in the UK. 
your model is clearly very successful and the future is bright with your expansions into the global market. We, both Paul and I, look forward to, to watching that journey and supporting you along the way. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for listening to Constructing Education in a Digital World. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode soon.